Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. In this episode, Ryan Ford shares his thoughts on his parkour EDU program, various coaching methods, and his experience of building a community. He discusses the idea of a talent hotbed, how and why it occurs, and how to apply those ideas before delving into the world of cryptocurrency. Ryan explains what cryptocurrency is, why he's so interested in it, its potentials for growth, and the similarities he sees between crypto and parkour. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hey, how you doing? I'm welcome, good. Welcome to Boulder. Thank you. Ryan Ford is an American original among the early parkour professional athletes and coaches. He is the co-founder of Apex School of Movement and more recently Parkour EDU, as well as the author of Parkour Strength Training. Ryan is passionate about parkour education and best practices, and his entrepreneurial spirit reflects this. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. You're very welcome. So since we're doing this just kind of straight through and just chillaxing, Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's start with something that I think people would think is an obvious topic to start. So you wrote parkour strength training like three years ago, depends on exactly when. Um, So, But you probably started on it like four years ago or five (laughs) years ago, but roughly three years ago, everybody else saw it. And then I understand that what you're doing now in Louisville, if I'm getting my bolder pronunciation correctly, in Louisville is you've begun creating a physical program, like actually um, take that to the ground. And I'm wondering if you want to unpack some of your experiences with that, what went well? Yeah. So what we've been doing for the past couple months here, I think we started building this parkour strength for adults program Mm -hmm. in Apex Louisville, started it in mid-December. So we're at, I guess, a couple months in and I've learned a lot. Um, Basically, the program is based off the book. So everything I've, you know, learned about, tested on myself, you know, trained others, coached others, many different types of people, kids, teens, adults. I think in parkour, um, at least at the businesses, um, gyms and stuff, tend to bit, be a bit more focused on kids and teens. And so one thing I was interested to do is start building up that program for adults. I think a lot of adults see parkour and they kind of dismiss it as, oh, I couldn't do that. Or, oh, that's definitely reckless right. or crazy or my knees don't work or you know whatever <laughs> that may be. I think that's unfortunate. But what we need is to show this in another way. And so a lot of our skill classes, almost all of our classes actually at Apex, I would say are more biased towards skill training. So about 80% skill training, maybe 20% physical training. Um, This is the inverse of that. So we focus much more on the physical training and there's a little bit of skill and fun and play mixed in there as well. Um, But yeah, we're we're just trying to provide another outlet or another, I guess, on-ramp or funnel, whatever you want to call it, for adults to understand that, Hey, you can do this too. This is all progressive. This is scalable. You know, we can all do essentially the same movements, essentially the same workouts, but I'm going to scale up and down depending on what you're ready for. Mm -hmm. Do you find, so my personal experience, I started at 40 and uh, like 40 pounds heavier than I am today. Mm -hmm. And for me, the fun stuff is fun, but the the physical preparation is obviously (laughs) grueling. And I found that all the physical prep was the time well spent and the fun was fun. But what I'm wondering is, I, yeah. it, does everybody else's experience jibe? Do they all push back on you? Like, we want to play the games. Like, do you have to, do you have to like sneak it in? In other words, right. yeah, you think you're playing a game, but you're really doing physical progression or have you managed to, to make it engaging enough? Or like, I'm just wondering how that yeah. plays out for the average person. Yeah. So, um, actually I've been posting a lot of this, um, kind of research and development, building the program, posting the, 
videos and stuff mm-hmm. from the classes on my Instagram. So people can see a lot of what I'm, or what we're what about it looks to talk like, about. Right. Yeah. You can load up. There's a bunch of warm up games. What, just so everybody has it. What is your, your Instagram handle? Yeah. It's at Ryan M Ford. Uh, my middle name is Michael. Fun mm-hmm. fact. <laughs> so Ryan M as in Michael Ford. Mm-hmm. So the, so those are snapshots inst- instas of what's yeah. actually going on. Yeah, just uh, when I get a good game and the vibes are good or there's a nice workout, I just try to like whip out. I mean, maybe this is bad, (laughs) bad on depending on what your views are as a coach. Um, But my students have fun with it. They get to see themselves training a bit. I just whip my phone out, film a little like 10, 20 second clip here and there and then um, provide a little context in the description as well. So what is the workout or why are we doing this? Um, How can we disguise some of this stuff as play? or as uh, fun because mm-hmm. yes, I think that is a very common theme and the people that gravitate toward parkour, they're the ones who maybe didn't like the traditional team sports or they don't right. like the traditional, you know, working out with weights and like machines and all this stuff. Right. So um, that is challenging sometimes, but honestly um, the reception has been really great. We've got in most of these classes, um, we've got anywhere from 16 or 18 years old all the way up to, I think currently the student, well, the student would be like 57. And, and I'm guessing it's like a snowball effect. So if you have 16 people in a class and the 17th person shows up, he's not going to raise his hand, I'm presuming a guy, and say, I don't want to do this at this point. I want to play a game. They're going to they're gonna like, oh, I guess we're doing this. And then, yeah. then it gives you the chance for it to really be fun before you have to convince them that fun is okay. Right. We've got kind of a core group. I guess that's really important is you get the core group, the people who are buying into it. They understand like why this is important or why we're doing it in this way. And then when other people walk in and they see some 57 year old, like killing kicking it, ass right. over there, <laughs> or we've got, you know, we've got people who are overweight. We've got people who are completely weak. Can't do a pull up. Yeah. Um, it's all over the place. And that is challenging as a coach. Um, but I think one of the highest level th- uh, things you can do as a coach is have a class filled with all different levels and it's all different spread. types and still manage to make it safe and challenging for everyone. And see, and like, I'm, I'm, I don't coach. I'm not, I'm not a coach. Um, but when I see, when I'm in a class and I realize suddenly that everybody is, I'm usually the oldest, slowest, <laughs> but when I realize that everybody is engaged and you know, you can get the vibe. Like if the younger, faster, better people are looking over their shoulder, like, eh, hey, you're slowing us down. Like that vibe can't be hidden. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's probably where a lot of the joy comes from to see that, like, like, you know, the material works, you know, the principles are right, but then to actually see it implemented and see all those students engaged and having fun. I'm, I'm guessing that's where you're, what's powering you to, you know, continue doing it. Yeah. And, oh man, there's so many layers to this, but for example, when I wrote the book, that was very much so like, here's the information, like here's the movements you do, the workouts, how to tie, how to tie it all together. Um, but then when you start to build an actual group class program in real life, then you also have to consider, you know, how am I going to make everyone feel welcome? How am I going to encourage interaction, partner mm-hmm. interaction, in right. games, group games, um, how are we going to build a community? How are we going to have fun with this? And actually kind of uh, backtracking a second here, um, a quote that comes to mind is it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. And that's kind of how I feel about strength training. Um, it's not always fun. We'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> We're changing the definition of fun. <laughs> we'll get that out of the way right now. But when you do a really good workout and you're done with it, like, do you ever look back and regret it? Yeah. You you, somehow you had like, fun, even though you didn't have fun. Yeah. And then especially over time, as you accumulate more and more of those and you start, you unlock the first pull up, you unlock the first 
precision landing on a ground rail two inches off the ground. Right. You unlock all these things. And I was just talking to my oldest student. Uh, his name is Stuart. And he's from the UK and actually started out at Primal Fitness like a long time ago in DC. Mm -hmm. Took a few classes there, but now he's out here. And he's just telling me when he first came in, he's like pretty intimidated. And I get it. Like coming into a parkour gym with people yeah, with growing down. <laughs> like especially here, we've got kids at our gym that they basically live there. Especially you know? if you walk into the wrong class. Like there's certain times you can walk into a gym. It's like, Oh, there's a nice vibe. Other times you walk in and when the real kids are training, it's like, Whoa, yeah. this is high level. Yeah. And so we've got these, these people who have basically, they live there. They're there almost every day and they grew up there. So for example, we've got a group of guys who are around like 18 to 21 ish. They've all been training with us for like 10 years. I met these, I taught these kids when they were like 10 years old and now they're like, insanely mm. skilled and confident and that that can be intimidating for people to see especially an older maybe out of shape adult who walks in and that's again that's why this is really important um it's you know going back to like julie angel's thing that's another thing i think about all the time see and do that's right, really right. important if you walk in and you see this parkour strength class over here and you're like oh there's a couple overweight people there's a couple older people there's um this scrawny kid there's hey like i look like that or yeah that, I fit that, that person reminds me of yeah. me oh maybe i can do that all right i'll go try it and then after one or two classes and you kind of explain to them how it works and they're hooked so and do you find i'm, I'm so now i'm thinking about okay so people will be listening but like okay how do i build such a community and by when i say community i mean not just the little the micro or the the, the sub community of the people coming to that particular class mm -hmm. but how do you construct a community in a gym space um where you have this huge range of physical ability and people who don't, I'm guessing, normally train together, even they see each other in passing or I'm in this section, you're in that section. How do you cultivate that communal spirit inside the gym? Are there other things you do specifically or is it you'd like to try this and it grows and or try that yeah. it didn't work? Like how do you go about engineering that? Yeah, so um, I guess, and if you go to the back of my book, um, Parker String Training, you'll see uh, kind of a little blurb about special things to like, and I list I don't know, it might be 50 or a hundred different people, but they range from athletes to coaches to entrepreneurs or whatever. But these are the people that they, some of them probably don't even know it, but I studied so many of these programs, so many of these coaches and athletes, like I studied them very closely and I see, okay, what's working for, or what are they trying to do? What's working to help them do that? Um, and specifically going to your question, I think um, I've drawn a lot of inspiration for this from and this is kind of a touchy subject. I won't get too much into it, but there are certain programs out there where I'm, I'm kind of anti-guru. I'll get that out of the way. I don't want to be anyone's guru. Right. And I, I don't really like the fact that some people think they can only learn from one coach or they, they're like, this is my guru. And I, that I have I'm going to put follow. blinders on to everything else. Yeah. Or I have to follow a whole, um, I was going to say lineage, but like a whole program. Like in other words, if I'm going to learn parkour, I have to pick and I have to start here and then I have to do this whole thing. Otherwise it's a waste to go to here and then switch. And I, I agree right. with you that it's not necessary. I mean, there's advantages if you want, if you're in a hurry, go straight through. But if you want to learn the most, I think, and I, I've talked about this before in the context of coaching certifications, I think the best coach would be the person who puts on their school board. I would like the PE job resume that I took all the certifications, right? Not, not like I have the 57 layers of this one person. I mean, I'm, I'm stealing your train of thought. Right. So I agree. There shouldn't be one source of truth. No. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually one of my guiding mantras is a Bruce Lee quote, um, whether it's as an athlete or a coach or an entrepreneur, like life in general, I've carried this with me since I read my first Bruce Lee book when I was probably 14, 15. 
And it's something like absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is uniquely your own. And another funny version of that I've heard, which I think is very similar, is from the breaking community. There's a phrase called bite and rewrite. And they managed to take that Bruce Lee quote and like condense it it into three words. And bite and rewrite means, you know, don't steal, but like draw inspiration from other places and maybe even steal it, but rewrite it, you know, add your own unique take or um, connection on it. So, yeah, I think I've drawn a lot of inspiration for this Parker strength program um, for adults specifically, because it definitely changes training little kids in parkour versus adults. So I've drawn a lot of inspiration from Edo Portal, movement culture, Christopher Summer, gymnastic bodies, Dr. Andrea Spina, functional range conditioning, which I consider to be kind of like the gold standard of mobility training these mm-hmm. days. So there's a huge emphasis on mobility training, strength training. Um, for some of the higher level people, we get into like power development. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a bit more of like a, you know, the performance or competition level athletes who want to compete in, you know, sport parkour league, or maybe they're training for Cirque du Soleil or, you know, who knows what, but drawing inspiration from all these different coaches and programs and things. Um, a couple things that have helped me build the community or build a better, you know, in real life parkour strength program for the first time, a couple things I've learned are encourage partner interactions, you know, partner games, group games, um, make people switch partners, you know, interact with each other, even like touch each other appropriately, obviously. Yeah, but, no, but in the beginning, a lot of people, Westerners, especially people in the United States, have a little, little space, like my own little personal space. Yeah. People. Yeah. But it's undeniable. Like when you encourage that collaboration, that interaction, people start laughing and having more fun. You see people's eyes light up. And, um, also it's, it's really cool to see, like, we do have some of the really higher level athletes training side by side with this 57 year old who started like last month. Um, and then they start to realize, oh, we are actually all kind of doing the same thing, but different progressions of. Mm-hmm. So do you find, um, and I always like try to wonder like how much of my story should I put in, but there was a gentleman that I trained with in the community of Pennsylvania where I am. I haven't seen him in a while, um, but he told a story about we're doing, you know, pushups in a circle or something. And he got to a point where he was like completely like we're at failure and he's exhausted and like a very young person next to him in great shape looks at him and says, you know, if you breathe through your nose, it's easier. And what he didn't realize was the person he was talking to is a Tai Chi and Kung Fu instructor in his late fifties, who is, I mean, like this guy teaches breathing meditation, like, you nice. know, he's preaching to the choir. So the, the guy, the person who's telling me the story, the older gentleman said, I had like a moment of like anger, like, don't talk to me, don't you know who I am? And then he said it was gone in a flash and he went, the next realization he had, which is, oh, I wonder whether I should unpack all that, is he realized in the moment that it was amazing that somebody who was a different generation than him, who was a completely different physical ability level, that that person reached out to him in like a completely helping fashion. Like this, this mm. kid didn't laugh at him or like, if you breathe your nose, but he actually was like, how can I help this person who is clearly struggling? You know, I can't physically lift them up because like the whole point, he, this person wants to do the push up, but maybe if I mentioned this thing that I know and what, what you said, which made me think of that was you were talking about the mixture of the really high level athletes and the newer students. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is it, I wonder if it's always the case if, we like, you know, everyone in general, if we always just keep putting all these people in close proximity, if it just automatically happens, like, is that a human thing? Or is it something that you, when you put people together the first time you have to say, okay, now in this class, we're all going to mix, like, go find somebody like, do you have to set it up or do human beings just click into that mode when you just kind of put them all in the same physical space? 
Yeah. So a couple of thoughts that come to mind on that. Um, this is actually kind of a strength and a weakness of a parkour school or program or classes in general, in which you see lots of kids or teens and maybe the adults are like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. Like I want to work <laughs> out with adults. So I'm going to go to that CrossFit gym over there right. where there's a bunch of adults. But if you can manage to get them in and you manage to get them to try it and like commit to it a little bit, then they start to realize, oh, I actually really appreciate the fact that there's these insane little kids doing crazy stuff that I can't do yet, but I get to see that and I get to see these other people and like all these different mm -hmm. levels and types of people. Um, it reminds me of a book that I think about all the time when it, it's been a big influence on me as a coach, as an entrepreneur and an athlete, um, all kinds of different things you can use or apply this to. So it's a, a book called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, I believe. And he has a great blog that goes along with this. So he wrote the book and then he publishes occasional blog posts that are related to the book. But um, really, it's all about how do you build a talent hotbed? A talent hotbed meaning, like, why are there these little pockets around the world that are just right. freakishly good at something? So, for example, like a little tennis school in rural Russia or um, the, the little tiny Caribbean country of Curacao produces an insanely disproportionate amount of Major League Baseball players. And so this guy went around the world studying these um, different talent hotbeds ranging from music, sports, um, many other things. And he's like, what, what happened here? Like, why is that big here? And why are they producing so many great athletes? So there's three sections of the book. Um, they talk about deep practice, meaning like basically the training methodology. There's a section about ignition, which means how did they ignite the country or the community to like be into this thing? And get behind it. And so for example, resources. for example, Curacao, there was um, a native guy from Curacao made it to Major League Baseball. I think this was maybe like the 70s or 80s or 90s. I'm not totally sure on the details, but his team got into the World Series and this guy hit a home run in the World Series with the entire country watching. watching. In and in that moment, you can bet that hundreds <laughs> or thousands of little kids were like, I want to be that guy. Yeah, where do sign, I do that? How sign do I me up for baseball. And so I think uh, a couple of years back, I did a kind of a talk on this. Like a lot of people consider Colorado to be sort of a talent hotbed for parkour. So I did a talk of the, on this at art of retreat in New York city, um, a couple of years back. And one of the cool things was, or one of the biggest things, which I'm kind of um, getting to here is that there's one specific blog post that you can find on the talent code blog. It's about Chinese, Chinese divers, Chinese Olympic diving team. And they have little kids that are like selected to eventually be Olympic divers for whatever reason. I know they have like some crazy yeah, selection process, right. there. <laughs> but they have little like potential prodigies, you know, little kids training side by side with Olympic level athletes. And that was one of the key things in his opinion or in his analysis, or actually I think he was profiling another coach who is helping with that program. But the coach was saying that's been a key is they have all of these different levels, all of these different ages training side by side. And so it's, it's almost like, um, you know, cross pollination osmosis, like these words come to mind. Where, right. Um, and I wonder how much there is, I'm thinking, so if you're an Olympic level athlete and it's just your other teammates, they all understand you really well. But when you know that people are watching like those little kids and you're like, I know these kids are looking at me like I'm a hero. I probably should step my game up now. I mean, that yeah. could also be a vicious cycle of people overworking, but or but just in, or just in, be a better example, like yeah. make better choices. Yeah, it like could be little fold things. my like little things. Like I decided to fold my towel, or I picked up this piece of trash. Like that we all there are a dozen parkour spaces that it would just create that feedback loop of people, you know, trying to be their best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting. Yeah, and, and uh, 
kind of on that same note, another thing he talks about in the talent code is um, there's a, I forgot who the tennis player was, uh, some famous tennis player, yeah, but skip it. It'll come when the name comes when back, they were, spit it out. <laughs> when they were a little kid, they grew up watching like every single match mm. of their favorite tennis players. And even as a little kid, they started to just almost unconsciously move exactly like their favorite players. Mm. And I think we see this a lot in our communities. You know, we've got these, little kids who they they stick a precision just like you know dylan baker or brandon douglas or like these higher level right. guys that they see all the time because these guys are locals it's that osmosis thing like you just you see these other talented people doing it and it just yeah, it eventually becomes part of your own skill set cool so since we're just kind of going off the cuff do you want to um do you want to dig into something else do you want to do you want to talk more about that or you want to yeah. talk about plans for the future um, do you want to talk i mean i'm a big yes. fan of like random left turns <laughs> yeah so one other thing that's kind of current um that i'm into and have been into for the past few years is cryptocurrency blockchain mm-hmm. technology um kind of along with my interest in entrepreneurship and video and technology startups i'm all over the place man but What's interesting that's is that's a good thing. I mean, like, <laughs> as long as you, first of all, as long as you recognize it, and as long as you're choosing, like, okay, um, today I'm spreading here, and then today yeah. I'm going deep on this. Um, so sorry, blockchain. Yeah. That. So uh, I guess actually I'll, I'll preface that with a quick story I've been telling a lot of people lately because it's been particularly inspiring to me. There's a couple books that some of my favorite books over the past couple of years are by this guy, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, he wrote a book called Sapiens, the follow up was Homo Deus. And then uh, I think 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Sapiens is on my so, bookshelf to be read. <laughs> so I heard Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos, like all these people are saying, you have to read, <laughs> to read this. Sapiens. Right? And so finally I was like, okay, I'll read this. And I hated history for most of my life, especially in school, um, especially in American schools, I'd say. It's like they're teaching some version of history and you're just like, is that yeah, what it, actually it, happened? It's all facts or, and figures, right? It's not. Is this, not yeah, there's no perspective. Right? Is this America's version of what happened? I'm going to go with America's version of what so, happened. So I really appreciated uh, you've all know Harari's book, Sapiens, because it's it's almost as if it was written by like an alien who was able to zoom out. <laughs> That's what like, I heard. Like blast off into outer space and just kind of observe everything that happened. Yeah, it came by on every Earth. third Tuesday and took a picture and checked in. Yeah. And like, oh, wow. That's and messed so, up, man. And I'm sure, he, I'm, I'm sure uh, you've all know Harari has his own biases, but it felt much more like level-headed and... Um, unbiased so i appreciated that and what i'm getting at here i was gonna say why um, like you brought that up for a reason so what was yeah, the, what was your big impact like your take not your takeaway from like summarize the book but like how did that change what you were thinking or yeah so where, where i'm going with this is his follow-up book is called homo deus and that's about what's going to happen in the future at least from in his own opinion and his own historical um expertise he's a i believe a professor at some uh, university in israel and so he's amazing at the connections he can make, you know, from almost seemingly unrelated things in his or throughout history. And then using that to figure out, okay, where are we going? What's next? And in his latest book, 21 lessons for the 21st century, he is kind of, he's predicting like in a world that's changing faster and faster and faster. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at uh, the rate of technology innovation, right. everything's we're, we're at the hockey stick. <laughs> right. So the moment where it goes from like very slow and steady progress to just like blasting off yeah. like you think about five ten years ago i or iphone smartphones were barely even a thing and now i had to honk I, I feel a little bit bad about this but when i came back here um just a couple hours ago i honked at a lady who cr- she crossed two streets one of them right in front of me while i was driving right and i was 
fully aware I wasn't going to hit her, but I wanted to honk at her to make her realize like, Hey, get off your phone when you're crossing a street. Yes. <laughs> like, what are we all doing? Just staring at our phones Phone. all the time. This has changed so much behavior in every aspect of life already in just mm -hmm. like five, 10 years. So where is this all going? What are we going to have to do to preserve our own mental health in the future? You know, like staring at Instagram and social media's correlate and smartphones are all correlated to like this uptick in mental health and yeah, or, or downtick in mental health. I don't know what you mean, uptick or, yeah, in mental health issues, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean. Um, so how do we, how do we cope with this? Where where are we going in the future? And what are the lessons we can learn to adapt and do better? And one of his key takeaways is one of the most important things for the future is going to be the art of reinventing yourself and learning new skills and combining them in new ways. And um, an example of this that comes to mind is, are you familiar with Dilbert, the comic? Yes. So one of the most successful cartoons or comics of all time in all the newspapers and who knows yeah. how far it's reached <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. So I, I think I've read the statistic. It's been translated into hundreds of languages, which yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, you would have to translate the writing. It's, it's Yeah. So I was never even a particular fan of this cartoon, but I learned more about the author, Scott Adams, mm -hmm. and he is a great quote relating to where I'm going with this. Um, he says something along the lines of, I was never the funniest guy, but I can catch or I can tell a good joke, you know, here and there when it comes to me. I was never the best drawer, but I just drew enough that I got decent, decent, decent enough to draw enough, some right. little cartoons. And I do it consistently, right? <laughs> you know, a little guy with squiggly hair and like glasses, glasses. not too complicated, but, um, and he, he's not, he didn't necessarily think of himself as an entrepreneur or a business guru, but he has an MBA. He understands the office place so he can make his jokes kind of related right. to that. <laughs> and so his point was like, I, I wasn't the greatest at any of these things, but I was good enough. And then I com I connected and combined them into a new way, which was Gilbert. Mm. And that's why he's wildly successful because you know, there's, there's tons of people who are better drawers, way funnier people, this and that. Right. But did they all actually connect it in a new way that made them unique and original and successful? And so I've thought about that and I, I try to, I've kind of been doing that myself, uh, maybe unconsciously now or for a while, yeah, but it now, seeps in. He's now more doing so it. I'm consciously actually trying to develop this same idea. So through, I wrote a book, uh, my mom was an editor. She's been hammering me on like writing and grammar and everything for my whole life. So I think I'm a decent writer, not the best. Um, I'm a decent athlete, not the best decent coach, not the best. I have a pretty good understanding of entrepreneurship and tech and startups, but by no means the best, um, and video. I really love to run around with my gimbal and my camera right, and right. film some cool parkour stuff. So through all these different things, using parkour as the lens, I've developed all of them and kind of combined them through apex or parkour edu or uh, my book and all these things. So, um, well, you I don't know where I'm, I think well, that were, was generally where I'm going. <laughs> I was um, going to say, you wind up with five <laughs> things that you've spent time on that you've worked on. And then those five things combined to give you a very, gives you a very unique in a literal sense vector. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking like, wow, serendipity. I was just reading, like I, I have a, I won't go in. I have a way of like reading all of a website so I can take something like Seth Godin, who's written, you know, 10,000 pieces and slowly day by day, get through them all without losing any of them. 
And I just read one the other day where he was talking about the idea of it's no longer good enough to be the best at something. So if you're the best baseball player, yeah, we got lots of those. It's like any single category. If you're the best, that's a tough, tall hockey stick on the front end. And and the point he was making was the exact same one that you're mentioning, which is this idea of combination. So if you're really good at A and really good at B, that's probably literally unique. And then that's an interesting combinatorial way of attacking it. And it also, I think it takes a lot of the pressure off. I don't have to be the best podcaster good because I'm, I'm nowhere near, but like, you don't have to be the yeah. best of things. You can like, well, I'm passionate about this. And I also have the ability to travel and I have the ability to do parkour so that I can actually understand these people that I'm talking to, put those three things together. That makes me unique. And then that's some like, all right, I can run with that. Definitely. And I think this, I mean, this idea isn't even new. I guess you go back far enough, they call it the Renaissance man <laughs> right. or, they, or they call it a polymath right. or they call it a this or that. But yeah, I think the general idea of these books I'm referring to, the Scott Adams and Dilbert example, and what I'm telling a lot of like the younger community members here is, hey, you guys, like, we're about to hit some crazy times. It's already kind of crazy. And what are you going to do mm-hmm. to survive right. um so we parkour get is not good enough <laughs> which you, is you've got parkour it's, it's, a, it's a good base but yeah. what else are you gonna add to that what else I, I are you gonna crazy to hear you know like and you, you're right but it's not parkour is not good enough but like to like wow okay we've already reached a point where this beautiful magical amazing thing called parkour is like eh, all right i mean that's just like run it mm-hmm. up but that's kind of cool that it that it didn't die um yeah. you dove into all this we were i, I don't mean to like rein you in, but you dove in all this, you're talking about cryptocurrency and you're talking about mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. So I'm like, let's go back there because I wanted to hear more. About yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. We, I was going to go there and then we got way sidetracked, but I think it actually ties, sidetracks are good. It all ties stuff. together pretty well. Um, so one of the things I've been trying to add to my own skill set, you know, I've got the three, four or five things or whatever that I'm trying to combine in my own unique ways to add value to the world and other people. Um, crypto, it didn't start out like that. And actually that this is, interesting because parkour didn't start out as a thing that i was planning on you know doing dedicating my life to i just did it because it was fun and i just wanted to keep doing it and eventually it turned into this other thing or many things and for the first time in a long time i felt that same thing with crypto Hmm. um, where i'm like fascinated by these ideas and what it could be used for how we can use it to create a more open financial system for the world um, there's a bunch of crazy statistics that I may botch this a little bit, but a significant portion of the world right now is unbanked. They don't even have access to a, tr- I was about to say trustworthy. That's debatable no right. matter where you are, but <laughs> they don't even trustworthy, have, right? they don't even have the choice of having a bank account, even if they wanted to. But nowadays with cryptocurrency and blockchain and um, interestingly enough, most of these people who don't have a bank account actually do have a smartphone right. or about to as they come online. Yeah, there's like billions of people coming online soon. Well, and the, smartphones okay, and sidetrack. Who is it? Bezos who is talking about building the global constellation of satellites for Wi-Fi? I think it is. Have you heard about this project? I think it's Elon Musk. Actually. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. It's Musk. I'm like it's one of the two people who has all the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Musk's idea was to build a constellation, which is just like sciencey term for we have a whole bunch of them in a known pattern, and the idea was to just have wi-fi not just like cellular 5g for you but actually have wi-fi service on every square meter of the globe and one of the big points is a lot of people in nations where they don't have a lot of infrastructure they do have cell phones that are wi-fi enabled and they're not currently using it and to be able to say oh no we're all on wi-fi then you have two people in a merch in a marketplace who can inter- interact using blockchain technology um that would be like the last piece of the puzzle was their connectivity without it being without it being controlled by the government and be like oh i'm using right. the global network yeah and so 
crypto Man, if, sorry. If, if you get into crypto <laughs> and blockchain tech, I think you'd probably love it. But it's fascinating because you have to, if you want to learn about it and you get interested and fascinated by it, all of us, next thing you know, you're studying finance, game theory, economics, computer science, right. psychology, political science. Like it's so multidisciplinary. And I think actually parkour is similar. So parkour is climbing, gymnastics, breaking, um, yeah, track strength, and field. Right. Performance, yeah. yeah. Like, so you get to learn about all these other kind of semi-related disciplines, but then tie it together in a new way. And I think that's what uh, crypto and blockchain tech is doing. And so I'm just, I'm really, really uh, curious and hopeful to see what happens with it over the next coming years, um, decades. You know, it might take a while for people to realize the fact that um, the U.S. government can print money whenever they want. And that, and that they devalues, do. And that devalues all of them, right? Or you know the the financial crisis in two thousand eight. It was basically because these banks acted completely irresponsibly. None of them got punished, arrested, right. or anything. And then the taxpayers essentially put the bill for bailout. Bail out. Right. These are the things that blockchain and crypto could hopefully start to uh, help with by providing people with another option. So instead of having to go with the US dollar, I could opt for Bitcoin or Ether right. or, you know, there's there's tons of them and you do have to be careful. There's a lot of scams and it's well, young technology. Right. You, you, and, and sometimes you get a bad coin. They call them coins. You get a bad coin or something. Shit coins. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they call them. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, you get, a, you get a shit coin and then you wind up with your, there's no actual value there. Your value disappears or, or, or worse, you have a software problem and it literally evaporates. But, but the, the technology is awesome. There, there are cool things that I have read about that have to do with contract enforcement where you can you can have um, a reliable transaction between two parties where I can guarantee that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you can guarantee that I'm going to pay you. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that today is with some form of escrow. Like if you if you buy a house, if, 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 if you buy a house, it's like, okay, I got a big pile of cash. I need to give it to Ryan. And Ryan wants to give me the title to his house. And it isn't actually possible for me to hand him the money at the same instant well, he signs. going to go first? Right. It's like, <laughs> who goes first? So what we do instead is we pay multiple other third parties, one of whom acts like a bank. And we trust these other parties. That's so like, you have to bring these third parties into the mix. And of course, everybody in that party, they skim a little bit off of it. So just being able to take on those, just on those kinds of, not even using it as money, but just being able to do contract enforcement yep. and stuff like that, that's like hugely beneficial. And then, I mean, if people are really interested, you have to go look up blockchain to understand it, how it, like, well, how does that work? But it, it's mm-hmm. basically mathematics that guarantees that what you think is happening is what's really happening. Right. And just to an action item, I guess, because this is a really intimidating subject. Yeah, I have to say, if you want to drop some places to start, like yeah. some good breadcrumbs, like that would be good yeah. to do that. Yeah. So this is a very intimidating subject for a lot of people who maybe they think they don't deal well with tech or mm-hmm. they don't understand anything about coding or, you know, whatever it may be. It's new. It's, they're like, isn't that about like the dark internet and like terrorists <laughs> or something? Like we still have the stigma and this is actually, right. I'm used to this. I got into parkour where nobody knew what it was. And I had to like, just be patient, keep explaining it. And this is kind of where we're at with crypto and blockchain too, is we have to be patient. We have to help people understand that this is revolutionary. This can literally change the world for the better in many, many ways. And it's not as hard as you think. And you don't even need to know everything, but you need to at least understand like, what is application or how can I use this? Mm -hmm. Um, So a couple People keep asking me because I talk about this online a lot and they probably think I'm crazy or something, but 
Um, I am, I'm pretty passionate because this is such young technology. I still believe a lot of people are like, Oh, I missed out. Like, isn't this just for like making money, like speculative bubble, Yeah. Do we want to unpack blah, blah, blah. the arbitrage concept? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot to be careful about, of course. Um, but you can learn the basics and start to understand why this is a big deal. And I, if you want to do that, I would recommend, you know, maybe starting by reading the white papers. Um, basically it's kind of like a summary or abstract of like, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? So they're the original white papers of Bitcoin, which is the original crypto. That'd be a good place to start. And then I'd say Ethereum because it's kind of like the next evolution of Bitcoin. Whereas Bitcoin was like one application of the blockchain, mm-hmm. as in like using it for money or a store of value. Right. Ethereum is essentially like the app store. Now you can build whatever you want on top of on it. On top of it. And what you're getting at with smart contracts this idea that we don't have to trust third parties or we get to cut out the middleman. We don't need banks anymore. We might not even need lawyers anymore in some cases. Yeah, or complex. We have five people and we all need to do something at the same mm-hmm. time. Like it can be a complicated interaction that we, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Or we don't need to trust PayPal to not freeze our account or we don't have to trust YouTube or Facebook to not censor. Like this is a big deal nowadays. Yes, you keep yes, hearing about yes. people get their YouTube account canceled because they were controversial or or they weren't controversial but somebody got to be in their bonnet and like one of the auditors in youtube went the wrong way today and boop gone there goes your lifeblood so the one of the most key concepts here is centralization versus decentralization Decentralization. Uh, centralization is where like one company or party kind of controls everything so your bank is centralized youtube is centralized a lot of the stuff that we work with in society nowadays is centralized what happens when we can decentralize it and we don't no longer have to trust these other people who could censor us at any time or um, they can, you know, Comcast can throttle your websites. Well, or, or even bigger, information and, is power. So um, I, I'm, you probably think of it, but a lot of people don't think about all the information that is collected. So, you know, we all know Facebook's watching, but YouTube is watching too. Mm-hmm. And anytime you interact with these um, central brokers, they're gathering data about you and that data is valuable. So wouldn't it be great if you could perform monetary transactions or contractual things, all these things that we're, we're covering, if you could perform that without having to also give away data about what you were doing. Like, right. you know, the, of course, now the government wouldn't like that because how are we going to collect taxes if suddenly there's this bar, the equivalent, in their opinion, of a barter economy that springs up? Um, mm-hmm. And my answer is like, well, maybe you just shouldn't be collecting taxes because you're not providing any services <laughs> in support of that. So, right. you know, we're, we're going to move over here and go around you. Um, I think it's a it, it it's a very interesting topic. Um, I think there's also a stack for it, a stack exchange. It's like crypto.stackexchange.com, which is like a giant Q and A site, mm-hmm. which is like a big, loud, noisy room. But there's a lot of interesting material there if you want to wait around. Yeah, I haven't checked out that one, but to give people a few more places they can look up, um, where I get most of my best information. It, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's honestly on Reddit and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but on Twitter it seems like it's more for kind of like journalists and crypto is huge on twitter like most of the experts are on there obviously on parkour it's more like instagram and youtube just because it's it's more of a visual thing that people Mm -hmm. want to represent with their video and stuff but on twitter it's about the text right like a little tweet right text and so i get most of my best info from just following the experts on twitter there's a couple subreddits um i'm in yeah there's there's a few of them on there but if you have to kind of what Amos was talking about earlier, you have to also see this through the eyes of like, okay, is this, is this bullshit or yeah, is this how like this hang with everything else? Like, yeah. So I tend to like follow the experts, but also be even be wary of whatever the experts right. are throwing. They might be biased toward Bitcoin or Ethereum right. or 
You know, and I, I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to like, you know, this is a programming joke, wild, dead, beat, horse, you know, which is an infinite loop. I was thinking, this reminds me, I think I've already, obviously, obviously I've done a little bit with crypto, but when I started, and I didn't have a problem getting into it because I'm a computer geek, but if you're thinking about getting into crypto and you're like, this is way too complicated, just think back to when you started parkour. And it was like, you go to your first class or you hang out with your first friend and in five minutes you see 47 things. And you're like, oh my God, where do I start? And then somebody said to you, just start here, do this, do this progression. So it yeah. really is the exact same mental unpacking of like, you don't have to swallow it all in one day, pick a thread, look at it. Oops, that's the wrong one. Pick something else tomorrow. Right. So to kind of bring this full circle, one of the big things I'm trying to do now is how can I connect crypto with parkour? Mm -hmm. It almost seems like a really weird thing to even try to connect, but (laughs) try anything once. (laughs) There's some very, some very interesting ways. And actually like what you're talking about with, um, the escrow or like, uh, there's a real estate on the blockchain now, right? Um, you can sell your house on pay for it with Bitcoin or something if you wanted to. I think a lot of people don't realize like the amount of development going on, the amount of like man how money they have put into, to build right? this and the amount of talent like facebook is in big trouble so is google like they're taking all the heat in the um in the news and stuff nowadays and a lot of the top talent at these companies who helped create what they are mm-hmm. now they're actually all Sliding fleeing out, over right. to blockchain Moving. they're going over to blockchain because they they're smart They've got the the skills and they know that this could change well, the world. And, and there's as much value for the it. companies. So like the, you know, we're, we're talking about individuals, right? People who have a cell phone and want to go to a market and buy stuff, but the companies themselves, there's just as much value. Like if there's value for an individual to take advantage of something, then there's value for corporations to take advantage of it. So the corporations are going to look at it. I think they already have going to look at it and go, Ooh, that's good. Let's, let's put some time and resources into that. So it, it, it's definitely coming. Slow, yeah. But I mean, it, but it's not like they're going to fight against it. They're going to be like, yes, implement that. So that we too yeah. can go around the government. Like, it's, yeah. So it's you've, coming. you've already got JP Morgan chase who's running their own private Ethereum blockchain and most experts predict that eventually they're going to have to open that up to the public yeah. one. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. They're, they're building identity based on the blockchain where you will control all of your own privacy yes. and data imagine if you could take your data back when you want to leave facebook if you could actually guarantee mm-hmm. that you got all your data back good luck with that yep so there's a couple projects i believe auger is one of them i'm sure there's a bunch more uport comes to mind yeah but just another example of like getting back to how can yeah, we did i cut you off how can we mash up about parkour how can we mash up parkour and crypto so we just tried our first experiment i guess we, there's a thing called bounties.network and this is built on Ethereum. And what it allows you to do is essentially say, I need this. And so mostly right now it's being used for like uh, software development. Mm. Like I need somebody to help me code this thing and yeah, I'm here's willing. Here's my definition and, of done. And here's my definition of done and here's what I'm willing to pay. And you know, it's, it's nothing like super revolutionary. Like this is Fiverr. This is yeah. some of these other Kind of websites the implementation is completely new (laughs) but how it works yeah so this is decentralized and what we just did was we we put up parkour hashtag parkour bounty one and we want to try to do more of these um, to see where we can take it but parkour bounty one was essentially we wanted to open it up to the locals of apex communities first or make it easier on them at first so we said all you got to do is you can take a new clip or an old clip so even out of towners a lot of out-towners have clips from Apex. You just got to post it up on your Instagram, say something you learned at Apex, and submit it to this page or this link on bounties.network. And we're going to take our top five 
favorite ones, and you guys are going to get 0.2 Ether, which is, I believe at the time, it was worth about 30 bucks. And then during the con- the one-week contest, it went up to like 35 or 40 bucks right. or something. And it is volatile, but the cool thing here is that when I clicked you know, submit, like I wrote up the bounty, I clicked submit, and then I loaded up the Ether into the smart contract, right. that that money is guaranteed there. Yeah, you can't, so nobody, you can't get it out, right? Nobody could be like, oh, I don't know if I trust Ryan. Like, I don't know if I want to submit to this because maybe he won't like yeah. pay it out. Like, maybe you can get away with that on Fiverr, even though you probably get like a bad reputation or, or something. Or they kick you out, but it requires a third party to like police but, it. But on bounties.network, you lock it up. It's there. People can see exactly how much is there, what their payout is, all these other things. And then as soon as the deadline hit, I just clicked a couple buttons and that, ether went directly to their wallets on their smartphones or their laptops or whatever and so um, i think a big thing here is they call it trustlessness so you don't have to trust anyone now or ideally like in the future we shouldn't have to trust anyone right we should just be able to rely on the code like the code guarantees that you're going to get your deed to the house that you bought and I'm going to get my Bitcoin or whatever. Well, I mean, I'm going to play the old card here. I remember when, I remember when they invented e-commerce online and I remember when it was like, used to actually call you'd like put your order and then you pick up the phone and you call and give me your credit card like because nobody in their right mind would ever buy anything online mm-hmm. then that came on then it was like nobody's ever gonna use their credit cards online now it's like what and you load it in the website you know like it's yep. it's I, nobody's I ever you. gonna watch tv nobody's <laughs> ever gonna do like, totally agree with you crypto is coming and they I, say that about all the new everything technology. every single thing nobody's ever gonna do that that's crazy so yeah I, I think you're um i don't think you're crazy i think it's definitely like it's coming it's interesting it hasn't fortunately sucked up all my time i've i have a friend who's really into it um who like came at me with like the really technical questions about software and i'm just like whoa i have no idea what you're doing that kind of thing but mm-hmm. um that was kind of my first glimpse into it and then i kind of zoomed out a little bit and started to look at some of the things you could do with it um, right so yeah um the bounty so the bounty example is just kind of the first experiment yeah proof of concept it's to see like hey can we i want to i want to spread parkour and i also want to spread crypto because i think if you get into it now like and you just hold on to that it, and especially if you earn it, like you don't even have to use your own money. We're going yeah, to give it to you. Giving we're you ether, something. Right. Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase had some quote recently or last year sometime. It was like the majority of people aren't actually going to buy crypto. They're going to earn their right, first crypto right. through there's all these different websites and apps and stuff. Now, like people don't realize that all this stuff already exists or is like about <laughs> to be here. Right. And if you're the early adopter, um, not only is that like fun and interesting and cool and you get to teach your friends and parents and stuff, but if you were to just, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but if you, the more you learn about this for most people, the more confident they get that if you, you know, invest in it or earn it or hold on to it for five, 10 years, it's going to be significantly more valuable than it is now. And we're potentially looking at one of the big biggest wealth transfers in the history of humankind and i want to see the young people in parkour like young people in general or all people like the younger people are going to be a little more willing to you yeah know, dig into that and take figure it, it out dig into it you know take the risk if you want to call it a yeah, risk it took me four or, hours yesterday but i don't know it's worth it right <laughs> yeah. find out yeah so uh we we put up this parkour bounty one and we're going to try more um we're going to try to open it up to things that aren't location specific. So anyone in the parkour community community internationally could take part. Right. And my goal is we only got four submissions on the last one. And we said we'd give away 
or pick five winners. Five. So that's actually so, be stuck in there in the contract because so you can't execute it. I'm a little bit disappointed. We're basically trying to give people money. <laughs> I, I don't think a lot of people fully understand that yet, but I'm going to keep trying. I know like that's how it goes with parkour. I had to mm. keep explaining. I just had to be patient. I had to say yeah. it over and over again. We're going to keep trying more, um, try to open it up internationally. And if we can have more success, I think that there's some exciting um, opportunities. I've actually Boulder is kind of a hub for blockchain development. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of the experts around here. I'm talking with bounties.network. They're based in New York. I've, I've started to just kind of like put myself out there, put yeah, myself the, out there. And, and the more you try and help people, then you become known as somebody who's helpful and also knowledgeable. Instead. So if we can keep doing that, I think people are in parkour specifically are also going to start realizing, Oh, there's like a lot of interesting parallels. Like the reason I love parkour now that I learned more about crypto is like, now I love crypto because of the same reason. So mm-hmm. for example, Parkour and crypto are both decentralized. There's a bunch yes. of, there are centralized kind of organizations in parkour, but nobody really controls it. Yes. And I think that's one really cool thing about parkour. It grew up on the internet. Everyone kind of, like when I first started, I was just downloading stuff on my dial up modem in my parents' basement mm-hmm. overnight, watch it the next day. And then it was up to me to like teach myself. Yeah, and so, create from so that. I kind of, developed my own version of parkour not no disrespect to the founders or anything but i couldn't access that right so everywhere around the world started to develop their own version and you know there's definitely a lot of cross-pollination but for the most part it is decentralized also it's kind of borderless it's global as is crypto i think a lot of people in parkour love to travel they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily like the idea that you could be prevented from leaving your country or not entering another country not allowed to what (laughs) we want to go we don't want anyone to say, you can't go over that wall. You can't go over that rail, let alone that border or that country. So it's decentralized. Permissionless is another thing. Anyone can use crypto. All you need is a smartphone or some Wi-Fi or laptop. Or something. Yeah, it's interesting. It's permissionless, but it's also explicitly permission required, depending on what you mean. Like permissionless, nobody's at the gate keeping you out of it. Mm-hmm. But as a user of it, it's explicitly permission only. Nobody has access to your wallet. Like there's no third party with their hands yeah. in there. So there's like a neat empowerment that you get from using right. both parkour. I'm talking about parkour and, and crypto. You get that neat empowerment because there's no one at the gate who can also fleece you as you go through. Right. So yeah, I meant permissionless as in like anyone can get into it right. fairly easily. Yeah. No so, barrier for entry or no gatekeeper. So yeah. you just need a smartphone and some Wi-Fi to download your crypto wallet. And yeah. then you submit the next par- parkour bounty too. And you have more You're going to have, your, you just earned your first crypto right there. Yeah. Um, similar to parkour. Like if you really want to do parkour, just walk outside and <laughs> jump on something. Go try something. Go do some QM, go do a push up, right? And then to kind of wrap that thought of, I'm, I kind of want to run or I want to write some interesting blog posts about this. Because there's one amazing blog that maybe we can drop a link in this description or something. They're relating crypto to fungi, mm. mushrooms, right, right. mycelium. That's a decentralized network. Right. Mush- mushrooms are decentralized networks. And then it's fascinating to learn about the parallels between crypto and mushrooms. Mm. And I think an article about like the parallels of crypto and parkour would be pretty interesting. So I kind of want to write some more on this. Um, but to wrap up, just a quick like comparison of why people in parkour might want to pay a little more attention to crypto is i think a lot of people in parkour love the idea of it's kind of freedom of movement you use your body and your movement and your skills to be able to kind of do anything go anywhere overcome any object or obstacle 
in crypto, it's essentially trying to build freedom of finance. So no longer do you have banks or governments or whatever telling you how to manage your money and what your inflation rate or APR or this or that. Like, <laughs> right, now, here are the rules. Now, all of a sudden, we, we get to kind of not do whatever we want with our money, but we have far more freedom of our money and managing it. So I think in parkour, a lot of people just love this idea of freedom in general. And whether that's freedom of movement, freedom of finance, freedom of, um, I think entrepreneurship is mm. kind of like freedom to create your own schedule right, and work your for yourself. And so I think almost unconsciously, that's kind of what I've been after of, with a lot of stuff in my life is how can I get freedom of whatever. So self-determination. Yeah. Agency. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, there's a word, another good word that, <laughs> agency, right? <laughs> Sorry. Vocabulary fail. So just keeping an eye on the time, do we want to, um, I, I personally love to collect stories. You don't have to do that if you don't want to do that. But if there's a story that you'd love to share, I'd love to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can do the final question. And yeah. So just to make this easier on me, what's a random theme that comes to mind for oh, this story? A random theme. How about... Or subject. Or... Uh, I was going to say, how about serendipity and it's just because that's been on my mind recently mm -hmm. about like i saw this and then i saw that and like wait now this is you know just like i thought anything that comes to mind related to serendipity okay can you define serendipity uh, like so how, for me the definition would, would be let's see if i can come up with a story that doesn't take me nine years to figure out <laughs> um so a situation where i go somewhere it doesn't have to be about travel, but I go somewhere and I have an experience like maybe with connecting someone in a glance and I have like a really deep personal connection with somebody in a glance. And then I go somewhere else six months later and I have that experience again and I have the experience a third time that it's like the arc of the story of me telling you like this is because I could actually tell some interesting stories about like being mid martial arts flip and catching a glimpse of a person sitting in a stopped car in the street outside the window while being thrown upside down, like in the moment and actually feeling like the person really saw me and I saw them. So they're like, but I've had that happen like multiple times. And that to me, that's mm. serendipity when I keep seeing the same things over kind and over. Kind of like deja vu, but in a good way. Yeah, or? I guess like inverse mm. deja vu. Only because you asked me for a theme and the serendipity was on my mind, but it could be something else. Hmm. It could be, um, it could be, uh, it doesn't have to be related to parkour. How about um, best meal? And then the, what you think of <laughs> when I say best meal you ever had, sometimes it's fun just to bounce around for best or like, like stories that come to mind, names to be changed, but like worst first encounter you've ever had with someone. So like, you know, like a date or a professional, like the first time you ever met someone, like the worst experience you ever had. So there is a method to my mm. madness for picking for stories, but, and I'm not digging for dirt. You okay. don't have to give me like yeah, a horrible. <laughs> I'm struggling to find or think of one on the serendip serendipity, serendipity. Dippity. I can't talk now. <laughs> sorry, sorry, um, it wasn't a vocabulary test. But uh, and you don't have to tell me why you think the story is cool. You can just tell the story, and that's all. It doesn't have to be anything. And yeah, I'll just I'll go with one that is kind of parkour related. Um, a first meeting, I guess. I don't know where all I'm going to go with this, but this this is another good story. Just because you can actually go online and watch, you know, little baby Ryan early in his parkour journey, going to France and meeting Yamakaze mm -hmm. for the first time. Uh, so if you Google like ESPN E60 parkour Yamakaze Ryan Ford or something like that, you'll find it. Um, so the, I think it was 2006 or seven, something like that. Mark two rock kind of put me forward as a person who could be a part of this ESPN story or video or something. Um, and then ultimately it led to them flying me out to Paris and meeting the Yamakaze and training with them for a couple of days. And 
then I guess the the bigger narrative was like I was this you know leader in this local community here in Colorado that was very young, never had anyone over here you know learned from those guys or been there, and so I was going to go there and kind of like learn as much as I could to bring it back here, and instead of us just creating whatever the hell we want with parkour, you know, like unfortunately a lot of people around the world or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, that's right, right. one beautiful thing about parkour is everyone kind of has their own slight, slightly different style or take on it. Um, but I think it is really important to learn at least like with or from or under some of the founders. Um, so when I went out there to Paris, France with ESPN, I had, it was a small crew. I think there was like, three or four um, ESPN crew. And then there was me. And then we, I think we flew out there. It was like a red eye flight overnight. And I was super <laughs> excited. to goal, right? I was super excited. Couldn't sleep on the plane, just stayed up the whole time. So I think by the time we landed in Paris, I'd been up for like 36 or 48 hours or something. Kind of like maybe what you're going through right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not that long, but yeah, I think it's like 15 hours or something. So I was sleep deprived, exhausted from traveling and all that stuff. But probably um, jazzed at the same time. Yeah, right? super excited as well. So as soon as we got we, I think we landed in the morning mm -hmm. in Paris and then we took, uh, I think we rented a car and we drove to the suburbs of Rie and Lise and met up with Chow and Laurent and they put me, so in the morning, I didn't even get, we didn't even like have time to go sit down and have a meal. Yeah. Like we just, I think we had a couple snacks and Hit like ground, sh right. shoved some food in my mouth and then meeting up with these guys and I, and then they put me through like one of the most ridiculous, intense four to six hour workouts <laughs> of my life while I'm sleep deprived and jet lagged and all these things. Um, and you can, so you can watch a little bit of this in the ESPN segment that I think is on YouTube. Um, but there's one point in particular, they're having me do something kind of like uh, where you're on the ground doing push ups, but you kind of do an explosive push up and catch your hands against a vertical wall. And mm -hmm. um, so it takes a lot of core strength and, um, you're kind of bracing like feet on the ground, but you end up bracing your hands up against the wall and you can see a clip of this. Like my shirt is soaked in sweat. And I think we'd done like QM for a couple hours and <laughs> a billion push-ups and all these things. And they're both like, or I don't know if they were both there, but one of them is standing over me and I'm like, I'm trying my hardest and right. I just can't do it anymore. Literally can't. I, I I don't like to say the word can't. Yeah, no. But I literally went to failure, and you watch me like get one hand up and then the other, and I just collapse to the ground. And so yeah, that was a pretty memorable um, experience and workout, and got to learn with those guys and take it back or bring it back here. And um, I guess where I'm going with that, or to kind of tie it up. You don't back. have to, you don't have to tie it up. I mean, you're perfectly welcome, but just put a period on the end of it. And new no, I, I think, uh, Saren going back to serendipity here. So the Bruce Lee quote, I said before, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add what is uniquely your own. I think being able or having that opportunity to go out there. Um, I think I'd only been doing parkour for maybe like two or three years at the time. And so I was still very young in my own journey and I got to learn with those guys. As I've said before, I'm anti-guru and all that good right. stuff. No disrespect to Yamakaze or anything, but I I learned a lot from them. I also probably rejected a little bit and I learned to add what is my own. So I kind of, I've been, and ever since I got to do that with them, I've also been trying to do that with, like I said, studying all these other programs and systems and coaches and athletes, you know, whether that's 
One of my favorites right now is I mentioned him before, Dr. Andrea Espina, an FRC, functional range conditioning. Um, one of my own struggles in training has always been mobility. I didn't even realize I was not mobile at all until it was <laughs> like kind of too late. Amen, busted, right? <laughs> <laughs> so in my early 20s, I realized, oh, I have really tight ankles, like freakishly tight ankles. Hmm. And then I tried everything to do something about it, and it's painstakingly slow progress. Hmm. But um, nowadays, I've actually started to learn to like mobility training a bit more. Um, also, just understanding the principles of it learning what Dr. Andrea Spina has to say about it, but also learning from other systems, the Ido Portal, Christopher Summer, GB. Yeah. And I think the, the Yamakaze kind of helped kick me off on that path mm. um, to just try to learn everything I can travel, go seek, you know, critically analyze everyone. Nobody's perfect. And then just do your best to, to take it to the next level, innovate, add something, mm. rewrite it, connect it, synthesize it. So cool. All right. So I'd like to end with the final question, but I'll, I'll give you a little setup. Normally people wouldn't hear all the setup, but the setup is you can answer the question any way you want. You don't have to have three specific words when I ask you, you know, to describe your practice. Uh, you can, un sometimes people give me three words and unpack them. Sometimes people have no clue, but they kind of talk around little paragraphs to come up with some like three ideas. And it's fun to hear the thought process, uh, but you can do anything you want with the question at all. It's just meant to give you a last chance to, you know, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, so the final question is three words to describe your practice absorb reject add <laughs> i was hoping you were going to go back to that but if i could say uh one other thing you can maybe, say as many as you like <laughs> maybe loosely related to that at least what i'm into right now in this moment how i would describe my own training similar to amos that you described we've we've had some rough years and um, unfortunately as a business owner and entrepreneur that you're gonna have to make sacrifices and so a lot of parkour entrepreneurs find that they no longer have as much time for training where they they've got to do, they've got to take care of other responsibilities first. So I've definitely experienced the ups and downs and the struggles of, you know, finding that balance and managing it. But um, lately I have been training like a lot, at least compared to the past couple of years. And what's kind of reinvigorated it for me is just speed training. So um, especially going outside, it's just like, okay, here's our start. Here's some like interesting complex obstacles and we're going to get through that. And over there is our finish and then just see what happens. It kind of does, it takes the creativity or instead of having to be creative, the parameters that you set um, encourage creativity. So I don't know mm -hmm. what movements I'm going to do to get through this, but from this start, this course, this finish, something unique and creative arises out of it. And on top of that, if you're filming it or if you're using a stopwatch, you get this immediate feedback like, okay, my first time was 48 mm. seconds <laughs> and it was this sloppy, like trashy warm up run. <laughs> and then after 10 times doing it, I got it down to 20 seconds. That's a X amount of percentage yeah. improvement. And oh shit, I, I like numbers and you know measurements and that makes me realize how much better I got. And so that's just, that's been really motivating and it's just fun and um, some interesting lines and creativity comes out of it as well. So that's been a lot of fun for me to just get back into it recently. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was a pleasure to get a chance. Thanks for taking the time to sit down. Yeah. Thanks for coming out to Boulder. You're very welcome. This was episode 49. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 49. And there's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to sign up for our newsletter, or to join the Movers Mindset community. Thanks for listening!